Amen. Praise the Lord. It's so good to be here tonight in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We are in the presence of God. We are in the presence of His Spirit. It's so good to be here tonight. We cannot ask the Holy Spirit to show up. We cannot ask Him to come here tonight because He's already here. He's already here. He's everywhere. There's no place where God is not except in the heart of an unsaved person who does not invite him in. He's everywhere else. There's only one place. There's only one place where the Spirit of God will not go theologically. Did you ever think it through? That is in the heart of the belligerent sinner. But he's here tonight. We felt him. He's here. So greetings. You are a very, very wonderful group of people, very beautiful people, group of people. Thank you for coming again tonight. We are here to worship and to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a very, very <clears throat> exciting message that we want to study and look in tonight. I'm so glad to have my nephew Paul Good and his family here and bless them for coming down from Floyd County, eh? Gladys, Virginia, about an hour or more north, maybe, something like that. So blessings. All right, get your Bibles, go to Ephesians. We have been maximizing on some very, very beautiful verses out of uh, the first part of the book of Ephesians, particularly chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, now, so we, we, we talked about the, the terrible disposition and plight of a sinner who is alienated from God, right? Do you remember that? All right, then last night we talked more a little bit about uh, the beauty of becoming alive, being quickened in Jesus Christ, in life in Christ Jesus, and what that looks like, what that, the way, you know, however that person acts like, uh, the beauty of life in Christ Jesus. Now, when we get down to verse 4, we notice a little bit of a change. We notice a little bit of change in verse 4 theologically. And what is the first word in verse 4? But. but. All right, so is that an important word to you? Every word in the Bible is very, very important. Guess why? If it wouldn't be, if it's unimportant, it wouldn't be there. So it means something. Now listen. So now I don't know what kind of Bible. I don't know what brand name Bible you have in your life. This, the, the, what I'm preaching out of here tonight is actually not the Bible I preach out of. But, my, it's, but what I got here is a Thompson's Bible. And so... Uh, in, in the Thompson's Bible, when you go back to the Gospels, particularly the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will notice that the way that is written, wherever Jesus Christ, the Master Missionary, changed thoughts or paragraphs, there's that little symbol there, which I told you, I think it was here Thursday night for many, many years, I call it a glinker. Was that here I mentioned that? That is no longer a glinker. It is now a, since I'm more illuminated uh, in the proper ways of preaching and teaching, it is now referred to as a, didn't I tell you? Pilcrow. It's a pilcrow. Now listen, when we get into, now you Bible readers, I'm telling you nothing new. 
you will discover when we get into the Pauline epistles, uh, they do not use the pilkro, but rather the word but. Meaning a new thought, a new paragraph. So tonight we sort of want to start a new thought. We, we, we talked about the, the desperate abjection of mankind and the horrifics of which he does outside of a loving relationship with God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Okay, in great detail, we painted a picture how ugly people can be when a man is alienated, separated from God, and when he loves himself more than what he loves God, I told you the other night, he becomes more dangerous than a beast. And then we talked about life in Christ Jesus. I already said that. But when we get down to verse 4, he tells us how we can be in Christ Jesus. How? So we talked about the, the tremendous, uh, not opposition, extreme between the saint and the sinner. Between the saint and the sinner. Let me repeat. We talked, we, we painted that picture according to the word of God. Now, so, now tonight, what we need to analyze is how can that be? How can a person who is a bloody, abjected, belligerent rebel turn into a son and daughter of God? How? How is this? How does that happen? You know, sometimes as preachers, it's, e it's easy for us to say, here's what God says. Do this, don't do that. Here's what the Bible says. But we, we tend to be a little bit shy on saying why and explain the why of the situation. We tend to water ski or snowboard. When it comes to some of these very, very beautiful and important acts of God, acts of God. So in verse 4, you will not find a pill crow, but you'll find the word but. Right? Now let's read this. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherein he loved us, even when we were dead. Remember last night, miserably dead. Now I didn't use that word. Uh, miserably dead in sins. Quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. He raised us up. Now I want to stop there. But tonight I do want to talk about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a question. When you think about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace. What comes to your mind? What is grace? How did God appropriate grace? How does grace work? Where did it get its origin? And how can you measure it? How do you go about measuring God? So we want to talk about the love of God. And, and I'm not going to be able to explain to you tonight really what the love of God is. And how beautiful it is. And, and the dimensions of the love of God. And the reason why I'm not going to be able to do that tonight is because they did not yet invent English vocabulary strong enough, potent enough in order to begin to define the very epitome of the existence of God the Father. So we really can't do it. But we can sideswipe it. I can give you an idea. I can give you an idea of the beauty and the greatness and the power and the glory of the love of God and the grace of God. That, the grace is what appropriated his love. Or you could say it the other way around too. So here 
Paul is telling us, but God, who is, what's the next word? Rich. God, who is rich in mercy for his, what kind of love? Great. So how great is God? How great is the love of God? So how rich is God? How rich are you folks? Who's the richest person here in the audience? I don't know either. Don't try and figure that out. So if we would go all through this county, I'm not sure what county we're in, and we'd, we'd collect all the gold and all the silver in this county and put it in one big pile. Would that equal the, the, the riches of the love and mercy of God the Father? Okay. So how about all Virginia? Let's include Washington, D.C., the district of D.C. How about Ohio, Pennsylvania? How about United States of America? If we get all the gold, all the silver, all the treasures, everything that is worth something, and we would, and we would hire the railroad and the automobiles and tractor-trailer trucks by the thousands, and we would accumulate, and we would pile up all the wealth of the world into one big pile. Do you think that would equal the greatness and the power and the propensity of the love of God. So how do we go about talking about this? You see, after we were so abjected and ugly and terrible and alienated and separated and filthy, we become the sons and daughters of God. How did that happen? Verse 4 says, but God, who is rich in mercy. So think of all those riches. So what is mercy? Uh, we're going to look at that just a little bit. Here we have the mercy of God. Here we have the love of God. And also we have later on in this chapter the judgment of God. So how do we go about explaining this thing of the love of God and the mercy of God? Let me put it this way. Because we're going to end up speaking about the amazing grace. The astounding, astonishing amazing, incomprehensible, and in one sense, irresistible grace of God the Father. Now, when I say irresistible, I don't mean that in the Calvinistic sense where, you know, we cannot resist. God calls who he will and the rest are unsaved. We don't believe that. So if you are a person here tonight and you need to get your record cleared, you know, Pastor Nathan talked about this, the song of the king's heralds. And as he was speaking, I had to think of old Tennessee Ernie Ford, who sang, Yes, my record's clear today, for he washed my sins away. And the old account was settled long ago, long ago, long ago. Old Tennessee Ernie Ford, some of you are too young, you don't know who he is. And then... The very last song that we just sang, Lucas, were you, Tennessee Ernie Ford, also sang that song. Did you, did you think of that, Pastor Nathan? All right, because he would know Tennessee Ernie Ford. Well, maybe not know him, <laughs> of him. <laughs> All right, so, you know, we're speaking about the love of God. We're speaking about the grace of God tonight. We're speaking about the mercy of God. And if there's anybody here in the audience tonight, I do not know why. I cannot tell you why you would not come to the Lordship or the Savior tonight. 
with whatever your issue is. If you're here tonight, you do not have assurance of salvation. You've never known the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Or like I said the other night, you have and you're backslidden. You've fallen away. There is some hidden sin and muck in your life. And you're miserable. You know it. You're not comfortable. Why not tonight? Why not tonight? When we preach about the love of God. Why not tonight? When we preach about the mercy of God. Why not tonight? When we preach about the great grace of God, how he loves us. The immeasurable, beautiful love and grace that God has bestowed upon us. Yes, it says, but God who is rich in mercy with his great love. Let me explain it this way. So God is just, right? God's justice hates the sin. We call that his holiness. Isn't that one of the greatest attributes of God? Did you ever make a study of the attributes of God? Sure you did. So we know that God's justice hates the sin, right? All right, now we have another equation. So we know that God's mercy loves the sinner. So God's justice and his holiness hates the sin. He cannot look out on sin. He cannot receive sinners into his presence because he's holy. And so he hates, he has a passion against all sin. He hates sin. That's his judgment. On the other hand, in his mercy, he loves the sinner. That's his compassion. That's his mercy. His mercy and his love loves the sinner. But guess what the problem is? Where does the sin exist? Where does the sin exist? In the sinner. Come on. The sin exists in the sinner. So here, here we have a sinner friend. And God loves the sinner. He doesn't want the sinner to go to hell. But the sin is inside of the sinner. Which is going to damn his soul. So now God is in a predicament. Particularment. That's an English word, I mean, right? Isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Particularment. Okay, I, sometimes I'm not sure if I'm on the right word or not. So God is in a predicament. So he loves the sinner, he hates the sin, but the two are one. Eh? Come on. And maybe that's somebody here tonight. I can look into your eyes, but I cannot look into your heart. So I, I, I don't know where you are at. Are you with old Tennessee Ernie Ford? My record is clear today, for he washed my sins away. Or is there somebody here tonight, you've got some nasty splendor lurking inside your heart. You're hiding that thing, and it's there annoying you, hindering you. I mean, I don't know. That's for the work of the Holy Spirit. Could there be somebody here? So what is God going to do? he got a problem. The sin is tucked away inside the sinner. So God is going to have to come up with a plan in his love. He's going to come up with a plan. And it takes more than love. So God loves us. So what he's going to do is, he's going to invent this thing called grace. And it's the grace of God that facilitates the removal, the separation of the sin from the sinner. That's his grace. When God gives us pardon because of his love, he comes up with redemption. And he comes up with a detergent, a plan that separates the sin from the sinner. Because every one of us here tonight, we were born with what we call the Adamic nature. We were born sinful. 
doesn't sound nice for all the little cute little babies here tonight. But they become sinful at some point, whenever. Uh, so God comes up with, in his mercy, in his love, he comes up with a plan to remove, take the sin out of the sinner. This is grace. This is grace. So in a few minutes, we're going to start talking a little bit about grace. Now let me go to Titus. Let me show you something else. In the book of Titus. Titus chapter 3. We're talking about the love of God and the grace of God here tonight. And you're going to have an opportunity in a few moments to appropriate. You're going to have a chance. I'm going to bring you to a crossroad or a T-road in your life. You're either going to have to say yes or you're going to have to say no. I mean, it's just that simple. And so tonight, I guess the question is, what will you do with Jesus? Like the song says, neutral you cannot be. Do you remember the Hartville singers back there in the 60s and 70s? Neutral you cannot be. I can just hear and see old John Henry Miller leading that song, the Hart Hartville singers. Eh? How many of you remember that? Know that? Okay. Neutral you cannot be. Tonight, every warm body that's here, you're going to say, yes, God, if there's sin in your life, if there's something molesting you, something sawing you off, or you're going to say, no, you will need to make a decision. All right, now let's look at Titus chapter 3. For we ourselves, verse 3, Titus 3, 3, for we ourselves were sometimes what? Number one, go ahead. Foolish. Foolish. Number two, disobedient. Again, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. Imagine, could that be existing here tonight? As I look over the audience, I can't imagine any warm body that's here tonight being in such a condition. But maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's some kind of inner rebellion, resistance against my mother or my father. Or maybe the church or... Maybe there's an unforgiving spirit. Maybe we'll do that tomorrow morning. I'm not sure. I, I don't know what could be plaguing you. What does plague us? Sin besets us, so easily besets us. And the Bible says we need to mortify. So what here tonight might you have to bring? What curious art? What attitude? What defeat in your life? What molesting splendor of sin? Might you have to give up and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ tonight because he loves you? Foolish, disobedient. This is what we were. Now look at verse 4. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his what? Mercy, he saved us, by the washing and regeneration, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he shed on us. Go ahead abundantly he shed on us he shed his love he is rich in mercy he is rich in love now let me ask you how would we go about measuring the love of God can we measure the love of God can we measure God you see the reason why we cannot measure God is because well here on earth we can measure a lot of things because we can measure things because we have studied what we call earth science. So we can measure length. 
We can measure length. We measure weight. We measure time. We measure speed. Now, God is the creator of all that, but God is not limited. God does not exist because of this thing that you and I intellectually call earth science. Because really in heaven, there is really nothing. There is no earth science in heaven. There's only one man-made thing in heaven. Only one thing. And maybe that was some science there. I don't know. But God is a God of science. He's the master of science. But we cannot measure God with earth science. And the reason why we cannot measure the love of God, the reason why we cannot measure the grace of God is because we, we can't even explain the existence of God. So where did God come from? Where's God going? How long is eternity? How do we go about measuring this beautiful, matchless, amazing grace and love that God the Father has for us? You see, in order to measure this pulpit, i got to be able to get to both ends, right? Did you ever think that through? So if I had a tape measure here, and I click on here, and I stretch it over here to point B, I can say it's 30 inches. I measured it, and it's probably 110 pounds, because I measure it with our science. But you see, the reason why we cannot measure God is because we can't get to either end of him. You can't get to the end of God. So, Because, you know, David told us in the Psalms that God inhabits eternity. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, whose name is mentioned 1,117 times in the Word of God because of his relationship with God the Father. There's four reasons that made David the John the Baptist of the Old Testament. We don't have time to get in and study that thing. But David said that God inhabiteth eternity. So what does that mean? That means that God has no beginning. So we can't take the tape measure back to the beginning. And he has no ending. So that, you know, there's eternity past. And there's eternity future. But we, we can't get to the end of those things because eternity never quits. You, you can't get to the end of the thing and so you can't measure it. So... And the reason why we cannot measure the works of God and the goodness of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God, it's immeasurable, incalculable, is because we can't even measure the existence. We can't even explain the very dynamics of the existence of God the Father. And so that's why God, that's why David says that God is immutable, meaning that God never changes for several reasons. I explained that Thursday night. The other thing is... Uh, God knows all about tomorrow. God knows what you're going to be thinking and what color shirt or dress you're going to have on in 15 years should the world stand. He already knows that. Do you know how, do you know how he knows that? Because he abides, he exists in eternity. So he's already out here, you see. See, the other thing about the immutability of God is God really cannot move because he's already everywhere. So, did you ever think of it? So if God would decide to move, I, I'm going to move, I'm going to go someplace, I'm going to go somewhere. Should he be able to do that, when he gets there to where he wanted to go, he would discover he's already been there. <laughs> so he's just there. And so he inhabits not only eternity past, that's more reasonable to imagine, 
but he knows everything that didn't happen yet. He understands the future. He's like a wide receiver in football. He's way out there within yards down beyond scrimmage to intercept everything that you're going to do, say, or think. He inhabits, possesses, lives in eternity future. He's already there, and he can't move because he already arrived. But see, that, that's not our science. So we can't imagine anything that is beyond this thing called earth science. God is not limited to earth science, but he created it. Are you halfway with me? Was that all wasted baloney? Okay. So I only said that so that we can understand how beautiful and unfathomable. Oh, that didn't come out right. We can't fathom the riches and the goodness of God and how he loves us. So how could it be? Why are we so sticky? We, wrong pronoun, me. Why am I so slow to make a full surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Why are we so slow to reach out for help? Why do we keep cuddled up these thoughts of jealousy and rebellion and, and okay, lukewarmness and materialism or whatever could be plaguing you? I don't know what's plaguing you here tonight. I don't know if there's any splendor, if there's any issue in your life. I don't know. But I'm going to be dumb enough to believe that there's somebody here tonight who maybe isn't quite living in wholesome victory. And so when we know all about this, the greatness and the love of God and his mercy, why don't we respond? How can we hold off something that is so great? Did you ever think that through? Well, I want to talk more about the grace of God. A little bit more about the grace, God's grace. Uh, here in Timothy already. Let's go to verse 7. That being justified by his, what's the next word? Grace. I'm in, what did I say? Titus. <laughs> I'm in Titus 3. I'm trying to go too fast. See, it's 8.30. I should be stopping now. Keep going. Keep going. Titus chapter 3, verse 7, that being, what's the next word? Stay with me. Go ahead. Justified by grace, we should be what? Made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We are heirs. We are going to inherit eternal life because we're heirs. We have been made that by grace because we were justified. Now, let me ask you very, very quickly, what does the word justified mean? Now, I know I explained this in detail at this pulpit 21 years ago. When a person is justified, look at the beauty of justification. Look, this is so good. If you're not here tonight, and if this is not what you're feeling inside your bones, inside your soul, you, you, you've got to get here. Justified means... I thought I heard someone. Go ahead. Just. Just as though we had never sinned. Just as if I would have never sinned. In the eyes of God. Not in the eyes of me. If I'm a Harley Davidson guy and I'm drinking alcohol and I go down the road 90 miles an hour, shave a pole, remove my arm, get converted, my arm is not going to grow back on. 
But guess what? On the day of judgment, I'm not going to be judging myself. You see, justification is an act of God. When he says you are justified because of the of my grace. You are justified. It's an act of God. We are before God in a state of just as if we would have never sinned. You imagine that. I look back on my life and all the horrible deeds that I've done. And I can stand here tonight and say because of the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God the Father. I'm a new creature in him. And I'm justified to the point where through the eyes of God he sees me just as if I would have never committed those sins. Because he removes those sins from us. Remember. He removes the sin from the sinner. And this brings peace that passes all understanding. We cannot calculate that. Uh, you know, we, we understand how cell phones work and electricity, or we wouldn't have them. But we cannot explain how peace and justification works because it's an act of God. Wouldn't you want that for your life? If you're here tonight and you're uneasy, if you're here tonight, you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're here tonight, there's some sin in your life, some hidden sin, and you feel guilt and condemnation. You feel that because there's sin in your life. That's why you feel that. To know that those sins can be removed, and in the eyes of God, it's just as if you would have never sinned. This is an act of grace. Now, let's go on. To Ephesians chapter 1. We've been there. Well, let's just short circuit 1 and go right to 2. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2, I want to read this. So how, how big and how strong is the grace of God? How, how would you go about defining the grace of God? So now verse 6, let's pick up here. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful verse? That is powerful. And so if you're here tonight, you don't know. You want to get your tonight. You want to do it. We, he raised us up. We sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How did he do it? Look at verse 7. That in the what? That in the... Ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. So earlier, we discovered that God was rich in love. God is big in mercy. Now we're adding some adjectives and adverbs. And here Paul is saying in verse 7 that in the ages to come he might show the what? Exceeding. Now let me ask you a question here tonight. How big is exceeding? When you think of the word exceeding, when something is exceedingly good, Lucas, it's like that meat. What brisket. Oh, when I saw that, I said... Help me, I, I, I can't eat too much brisket. That was exceedingly good. I mean, it just exceeded McDonald's by to the millionth power. <laughs> exceedingly good. So wouldn't it, wouldn't it be good enough to say that God is rich in grace? Wouldn't that be good enough? But that's not what he's saying. He's saying God is exceedingly rich in grace. We're in, he loved us. 
So how do you measure the love of God? How do we go about measuring the love of God? We can't measure the love of God because it's not our science. God is not our science. And so we cannot measure the love of God. We cannot measure the grace of God because it's exceeding. It is equal to his nature. Remember what I told you the other night? Everything that God does, everything that God, go ahead, thinks and does. I didn't already say that. Is equal to his what? Nature. And his nature exists in the highest state of perfection. Never forget that. And so his grace, listen, and his goodness to the sinner. So if you're here tonight and your heart is going bumpity bump, bumpity bump, bumpity. I mean, how can you measure his grace and his love towards you? Why would we not come? Why don't we find revival? Why don't we turn our hearts inside out and seek revival? Why do we limp along our Christian lives being less than what God intended us to be when heaven is full with immeasurable, uncalculating riches and mercy, exceeding riches in his kindness, in his mercy, in his love? Okay, one more. Uh, quickly go to Timothy, 1 Timothy. Let me show you this. Wow. <laughs> this one is almost too good to believe. 1 Timothy, quickly, verse 12. This is Paul. This is Paul. And remember, I told you last night that when we study the two kingdom concepts, we see many, many theological what's. Extremes. Now look at this extreme. Catch this extreme. Now, verse 12, uh, 1 Timothy 1. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who before was a what? Get this. He was a blasphemer. Now listen, imagine. Are, are you awake? Are you folks following me? Look at the extreme here. Here is Paul. He's saying, I was a, what was it? Blasphemer. Number two, a persecutor. Can you imagine? So, I mean, this, this person is so bad, there, there's no way that the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God can save somebody like this, right? Wrong. Wrong. Amazing grace. Number two, a persecutor. And injurious. He injured people, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Now look at verse 14. And the grace of our Lord was, what are the next two words? Exceeding, Exceeding abundant. Now it's just not his, it's not just that God had grace. It's not just saying that he has exceeding grace. Now it says exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. How many times in Christ Jesus? Go ahead. 164. <laughs> hey, this is so good. Why do we hold off? Why do we squirm in our carnalities, in our frustrations? Why go halfway with God when he's done so much for us? Let me read this again. Look at this man. 
He was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. And he was injurious. Did I read that word right? Is that how you say that? I mean, he persecuted a lot of people. You know Saul. And then look what it said. But he obtained mercy, this great mercy. And verse 14, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. So how big, let me ask you a question. <laughs> how big is something or how good is it when it is exceeding abundant? I mean, how big is that? When God's love is exceedingly abundant. You know, Romans chapter 5, when he talks about justification, he says that uh, his love was shed abroad in our hearts. Stay with me, shed abroad. The word shed abroad there in the Greek means to be poured out. And when I think of something being poured out, I go up to Niagara Falls. How many of you ever saw Niagara Falls where you went downside those steps, cutouts behind the water? Eh? And you walk out on those ledges with gates, and that water is cascading down over you. I got a pamphlet, and I did the multiplication, and I wrote it in the Bible that I preach out of, which is not this one. How many pounds or tons of water every minute? It's millions of tons of water. Niagara Falls poured out. And the Bible says, excuse me, that his, his mercy and his grace and his love is poured out eh? among us. Why hold out on a God like that? Why play cards? Why second guess a God like that? I mean, we got to get a grip. we got to realize it. I mean, this is real. I'm preaching the everlasting gospel tonight. This is the good news of God's salvation. And so I don't know where you're struggling. I don't, I don't know where you're at tonight in your life or what the issue might be. Why wouldn't you come tonight and just make a full surrender? Exceedingly abundant is his grace and his mercy. So tonight, is your record clear? Is your life just free? You go home tonight, you can sleep with both eyes closed. There's nothing to haunt, nothing to molest. You don't worry. If you might come tonight, should I die tonight? What's going to happen to me? Think it through. And if you don't have that peace, if you don't have that salvation, get it tonight. Why would you wait? I mean, it doesn't make sense. Why would we hold out on something so beautiful? So if, I, if I'd reach into my pocket and I'd have five $100 bills, and I'd say, hey, do you want these five $100 bills? Who, who would not take it? Who would not receive a flimsy, trashy $500? You would take it. Hey, the preacher gave me $500. Well, God wants to, I mean, he's, he's cascading Niagara Falls. He opened up every port, every door, every window in heaven. And he's just showering us with love and mercy to come to him and to give up. Just give up. Stop fighting. Stop resisting. Huh. I know what that feels like. But I know what it feels like to be free like a bird out of prison. That can be yours tonight. We just stop. Just give up.
Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight. We thank you for your greatness, for your love. We cannot measure it. We cannot calculate. The song says, could we with ink the ocean fill? Could we with? Yes, if the ocean would be like ink, and if the skies would, the outer space would be like paper, and every stalk Every blade of grass, every twig of every tree would be a pen. And every human being, the billions that are on earth tonight, would be professional, proficient writers eight hours a day. We would drain the ocean dry of ink. We'd run out of paper to write of the love of God above. Lord, why do we hold off? Why do we say no? Why do we say tomorrow? Why do we say not now? When you just cascade your mercy and your love upon us. Lord, I just pray if there's one person here tonight, if there's two, maybe that need to make their calling and election sure that they would do it tonight. Oh God, visit us with your Holy Spirit. You are here and you're walking up and down the pews. You're knocking on doors perhaps and you want us to come through clean. You want us to give up everything, make a full surrender. Lord, maybe there's somebody here tonight that there's just something molesting Lord help us to come to you in Jesus name we pray amen okay very good so brother Lucas we're gonna sing a very very short invitation last night I think we sang two verses we might sing two so if you're here tonight get to your feet you got to get up fast we're finished the preaching is done but you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to come tonight. What should we sing? 232. <clears throat> <clears throat> oh, Jesus, Somebody else? sing another verse all right thank you for responding if there's any more if you're not satisfied you know it i don't know it i don't need to you know it and god knows it so why fight get to your feet come on let's go another verse
too much for coming tonight. I apologize for going too long, too late. I'll try and pay some of that back tomorrow if I can. So those of you who responded, how do you do this, pastors? Uh, just uh, whatever you do, just maybe meet out back in your ministry. I'll t turn you over to uh, Pastor Nathan and do, do find help. And if you didn't have the courage to stand, go to your mother, go to your father and say, I want to go, I want to respond to, I need help. I'm sick of this conviction. I'm sick of this unhappiness. I'm tired of this whatever, thorn in my flesh. I want deliverance. Do it. Do it. So maybe you all can meet out back and Pastor Nathan will be in charge of that. God bless you. Any more announcements? All right, why don't we stand and repeat the Lord's Prayer together. <clears throat> Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Blessings.